Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You're now tuned to Future Sense with myself and Steve McDonald, my co-host, and uh, our friend Mitch Schultz, who's here for the last time. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nick. And good morning, Mitch. Good morning. Lovely to see you both here on this uh, on this wet and uh, we we all got out of our almost flooded in flooded in areas. I was flooded in a couple of times over the weekend. Yeah, big storms overnight. Kept me awake for a while. Yeah, yeah, they did. What's going on today on the, on, on the show? Politics to flu and some good news too. <laughs> That's today. <laughs> he's, he's a rhymer and he doesn't know it. He's a poet and he knows it and he doesn't know it. Oh, good. Well, we'll come back to that very shortly. Yes, yeah, so lots of indications all across the world of change of evolution, of, of, uh, of challenges as well. But exactly. Some good it, news. It, it was a wet weekend in Mission. I watch movies, so we'll talk about some movies as well. <laughs> movies, movies, movies. Yeah. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. You are tuned to Future Sense here on BFM and also available at futuresense.it, the edited podcast available a couple of days after each show, usually in two or three segments. And uh, you can get that on all your platforms. But the easiest way is through our website, futuresense.it. Um, yeah, we're talking a little bit to begin with about uh, this politics on the planet of which there is much going on. There certainly is much going on, yeah. Um, we had earlier in uh, January, January the 18th, actually a turning point from Martin Armstrong's computer models economic confidence uh, graph that he's put together, which interestingly he found over time sometimes comes in sync with the solar cycles, mm. and, and that's happening this year. Mm. Um, so that's, that's quite interesting too. And uh, I, he talks a lot about history, Martin Armstrong, and um, as he quite rightly points out, you know, when the weather changes, human activity changes. You know, when it's cold, uh, things tend to quieten down. People mm. stay indoors. When it's warm, uh, people get outside, cause trouble, have revolutions and those sorts of things. Yes. So, <laughs> Although you don't see a lot of revolutions from the Caribbean countries, so sometimes maybe a bit too much sun and sea yeah, is like a, a man. Could something to do with their religion too there. Yeah. <laughs> could be that. <laughs> What's their religion again? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so... Uh, the 18th, he said, was a turning point on on his model, and uh, we found out just recently. His um, Martin has posted on this during the week that on that day, uh, President Trump replied in writing to um, his instructions for the impeachment process, and so clearly that uh, was an important um, event, yeah. which which is now shaping economic confidence and with this new cycle that turning point brought a predicted inflationary period and it's inflationary martin armstrong says because of scarcity so we're looking at uh, the scarcity of commodities and um and certainly one of the things that we're seeing already is uh, shortages of various foodstuffs 
um, and also with the, the whole uh, coronavirus response as well, the trade is being massively disrupted in yeah. and out of China, which no doubt will be causing scarcity of things. I think there's something like 400 million um, Chinese now kind of in some form of, um, of isolation, isn't there? Uh, apparently, according to media reports, yeah. yeah, I think I saw just recently that they've now shut down the city of Chengdu, Yes, uh, which when I visited there, gosh, I think it was 2005, I went to Chengdu and they had a population back then of about 12 million, so it's probably bigger than wow. that now. It's wow. a pretty, pretty big city, mm. yeah. Um, and some crazy, you know, reports coming through uh I'm seeing pictures on Twitter of lines of trucks driving down streets within the cities and with great big fogging machines spreading something. Uh, some kind of disinfectant or something, I'm guessing, but who, who knows? Just spraying the population, possibly. Very could, one could be cynical about it, but uh, they do do things like that. I mean, there's spray for mosquitoes in areas of various countries in the world, so I guess it's possible they're doing something like that. They do indeed, yeah. Even here in Australia, they do that. They, do. they used to, at least, anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, anyway, back to the economics. Uh, over the long term, Martin Armstrong's model is predicting that we're currently in a period of rising private influence, and that certainly seems to fit with, uh, with reality. When we look at the gradually increasing control over government of private interests, what we often call corporate capture on this show, mm. and that, according to Martin's graph, is going to peak in 2032. Uh, when we'll, and that will be the end of a, a long-term inflationary period. And within these cycles, there are many, many sub-cycles. So you've got things going up and down, up and down within the longer wave. Uh, and uh, we've just turned a point into an, a, from a deflationary period into an inflationary period, as I said in January. But, but the longer wave is a steady climb, inflationary climb to 2032, and then a sudden, a very, very sudden deflation. And according to his computer, a return to public influence rather than private influence. So, and there, it's a bit confusing using these terms as we're saying off air, you know, the whole left and right thing is, is getting weird yes. as well. And I've got but the sound in my headphones going left and right. Yes, <laughs> no, same, same in mine. I'm not sure it's something in the desk here. We have to, see, have to live with it right now because it's happening is, everywhere. The universe left is messing right. with us right here, <laughs> live on air. And... Um, uh, yeah, so it's getting confusing using terms like left wing, right wing, and politics and public and private because they don't necessarily mean what they used to mean. Mm -hmm. And and with the rise of private influence, uh, it, you might sort of interpret that as meaning that privately we have more influence, but that's kind of the reverse of what it is because it's government having more influence over. Yeah, private individuals, yet private, very, very small percentage of private uh, influence, in, interest and influence uh, driving what's government, Influ what government yeah, is doing. Yeah. Agenda supposedly giving us more private freedom to be ourselves, but actually the effect is the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's quite confusing to talk mm. about even. Uh, and we can expect this return to public influence, which is due to tip over in 2032, to... to be a, a sudden decentralisation of power, I think, mm. and uh, I see that power going back to grassroots organisations, mm. and we're seeing that trend already with the value shift, a mm. uh, trend away from centralised power and a, a tendency for people to uh, take over, you know, things that they can to uh, to have more control over their local mm. uh, life conditions. All the more reason to um, work on that local resilience that we talk about often on this show too. Yeah, and quite necessary when you look at the state of our politics globally at the moment and how there's so much infighting and distraction away from the public good, the, the greater good, uh, that we really mm. need to take more notice of what's happening locally and... and um, build resilient communities so we can have more influence over that. Mm. And that that's it. I mean, that certainly showed with things like the fires, uh, 
the crisis that we had here in Australia around yeah. fires, and now we're having a flood crisis yeah. just a few weeks later. Yes. Uh, the weather is certainly up and down as well. So um, over the long term, um, we're certainly seeing a, lo a loss of confidence in government. And, and again, going back to Martin's model, there was a tipping point in late 2015 which indicated a, uh, the bottoming out of confidence, of confidence in government, and that was soon before uh, President Trump was elected, which was a, a kind of a rebellious uh, act, I think, by the, the public in the US. Yes, I mean, you could certainly see it that way as a sort of populist movement, which it certainly was. Yeah. That is was already in response to those early, that early, the early breakdown of uh, of everything, of the confidence in, in economics, generally speaking, but a kind of retrograde step, arguably, if it depends on which side of politics you are, yeah. sort of going backward regressively, uh, trying to find a, you know, make, a, make America great again and so forth, rather than actually seeing the crisis as an opportunity for moving forward in a different way. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see what that pendulum swing brings later this year with the with the election very interesting yeah. actually very interesting yep. yeah and we've seen you know similar sentiment here in australia where there have been protest votes where people don't want to vote for either of the major parties and so they vote for minor parties mm -hmm. just to kind of register their protests but uh it's it's again another sign that this whole political system mm. that, that is uh, quite prevalent globally is just reaching its use-by date. And we it's well, a little antiquated at this point, yeah. isn't it? I think everybody's got to get to that point. Well, like, We've had enough, thank you, and we will find something new. Yeah. 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 Well, interesting, too, there's oh, there's great distortions in the political process, too. I'm thinking now of Clive Palmer's influence on the Australian election. $60 million he spent didn't win any seats, but clearly influenced voters on the edge somewhere. Yeah. Just that bit over the edge towards a more conservative right wing, and probably um, quite inarguably influenced the, the result of the election towards uh, the Morrison government too. So that, that sort of over-influence of corporations and uh, lobbyists and so forth is becoming clear to most people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And we had the, the whole Kevin Rudd thing too with the influence of the mining companies and I think with $6 million they poured into uh, mm. advertisements uh, against his yep. position as leader of the party there. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, Martin Armstrong has written this week that he the fact that um, the impeachment process was served on Trump and he had to respond on that turning point date, the 18th of January. Martin Armstrong is uh, interpreting that as marking the decline and fall of the United States, which is a pretty extreme statement for him to make, but he has been predicting for some time uh, growing instability in the US mm. and, and the potential of um, the actual collapse of the United States yeah. sometime in the future. I don't think he's predicting that anytime soon, but certainly he's predicting that, that the process has begun. Yeah, yeah. indeed. And uh, I don't know if we, we want to bring that in right now at this point, but um, as you said, with the weather, you guys, and I've also seen one of these movies, watch a couple of movies which are relevant to this discussion, in fact. And yeah, well, it's always interesting to look at what Hollywood's putting out, the Absolutely. things that are coming out in movies, particularly successful movies, you know, mm. and people, movies that people are spending a lot of money on. And uh, we watched a couple over the weekend. Um, I wasn't all that keen on watching the Joker movie, Mitch, but mm. I'm glad that we did because it was, was interesting, very interesting to watch. Yeah, I had, uh, after reading a lot of the different reports, mm. um, I wasn't sure I was up for the depressed nature of what had been coming across, mm. but... Um, mm great filmmaking if you want to just look at it from a filmmaking perspective and, and amazing acting um, but definitely not the movie I think America needs right now or the rest of the world for that matter um, yeah yeah no, I guess uh, we don't want to spoil it for anybody that wants to watch the movie but hasn't seen it but certainly I, I found it 
to be a little slow, but I think the, the slow pace of the movie was meant to kind of emphasise the depressing nature of the story. Mm. Um, and with, without giving too much away, uh, it follows the, the emergence of the Joker character uh, who starts as a, a clown working on 42nd Street in New York, uh, in the theatre district there. With some mental health issues, so he has, yeah. he has an issue which is an interesting one where he sort of bursts into uncontained laughter slash crying uh, right. at the drop of sort of an emotional hat, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he's on medication for that and then there's a cutback in healthcare yes. uh, and by government and so he can't get his meds as easily. He loses his, ca- his uh, counsellor. The filmmakers definitely have Sounds their thumb on the pulse. Terribly they familiar really to actually. on some hot button topics. Exactly. Particularly for Americans, but um, well, yeah, I think, yeah, I think they too. Were, knew what they were mm. up to. So. Yeah, and then, and then sort of uh, a bit of law and order problem uh, problems in that district and uh, a kind of a vigilante vibe emerging and then eventually it kind of descends towards the end of the movie into serious civil unrest and um, it, it's kind of you know scary <laughs> the thing I did like about I mean the pacing I think you're right was really about bringing on that depressed mood mm-hmm. and that that sense of being in the character state of mind um, yeah but what was fascinating too from the traditional Hollywood you know big action films in many ways they pulled that back considerably and uh, so if you're looking for that kind of movie you're not going to get it here but it was um, that's very true a job there and and a, a real blurred line too between the sort of good and evil you know mm. often in these movies it's very very clear cut and right. certainly in the earlier Batman series movies it was very clear cut who's the good guy and who's the bad guy but uh, not so clear anymore. And uh, there's certainly points within the movie where the viewer can feel sympathetic, you know. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And empathise with the Joker's situation, the fact that he can't get proper mm-hmm. health care, the fact that he's kind of on the street without a job at times, that sort of thing. Yeah. How, do you, how do you configure the fact that he is the angry clown, the clown figure itself, uh, in our culture is a pretty potent one for all sorts of reasons, both mm. in sort of advertising and uh, in, you know, in children's upbringing, in, in, you know, clowns come to parties, clowns are featured here and there. I mean, it's, a, it's an odd, and the, the whole circus thing, the clown, is is he a happy person, a happy, sad man, or is he, does he represent something kind of darker and more evil? And I think, um, I haven't seen the full movie, but it seems that that's inter- interwoven together, these two parts of the clown, like who is this person? This sort of passive-aggressive, uh, you know, manic-depressive, these kind of polarity elements of human beings that maybe, arguably, are arising more and more at the moment. Well, I think a lot of people can, can empathise with the clown in yeah. many ways. You know, I think a lot of times we have to go out and we have to put that smiley face on and we have to, you yeah, know, yeah. everything is good, everything is great, right. everything is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> your, your makeup's a little crooked, actually, I've been to tell you this morning. Is it the tear that's dropping? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, look, I think, I mean, there's a lot to unwrap from that. If you think about yes. the, the jester, the court jester from history, yes. you know, is yeah, the fool. Is, Person who has mm. special permission mm. uh, before the authority figures, right, mm-hmm. to speak the truth yeah, yeah, and to right. get away with it. And, and often that was the only way that the the king or the queen could find out about the truth was a court jester would make yeah. a joke about it. It's like the oracle. He or she was like mm. the oracle in a sense in the court. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you think about that position and how it's descended into what's presented in the movie, where the that character, the jester, has lost public respect, and, and not just that, but he's persecuted. Mm. Uh, so, and, and I guess that implies this kind of falling out with, with authority or a failure of authority to recognise the wisdom, you know, and, and, and Bennett, the, the gifts that that particular character brings, mm. that archetypal character. Mm. 
So it's really interesting. And it's certainly, I mean, the whole movie just screams loudly of uh, a regression, the regression of society, the falling apart of our social structure. You know, the the fact that the people who are in power can no longer be trusted, mm. um, the absence of justice, all of these sorts of things yeah. really, really scream out of the movie. And it, given some of the predictions, again, just going back to Martin Armstrong's uh, computer model of things like uh, civil unrest around the election results in November and those sorts of things, it's it's kind of scary and potentially prophetic, you know, to some extent. Yeah. And I'm thinking also of um, Extinction Rebellion and similar recent groups that have arisen, which are very theatrical, also in their in their in the way that they do what they do, in the, the outfits, the costumes that they may wear, certain protests, and the behaviour and the, all of that. So in a way that the theatre becomes uh, becomes both a, a foil for and a disguise also, I guess, for some people needing to be a bit more anonymous in, in the world where you can't easily trust the, the authorities, the police, the government certainly. So you need to find a posture where you're actually presenting your political uh, opinion in a, from a safe perspective or a safer perspective somehow. Yeah, and I think the, what's happened with um, government surveillance too has made people a lot less safe about expressing their opinions yep. as well, okay. which, which just is like a, you know, it's like a lid on a pressure cooker. Mm. Yeah. Very true. Wonderful. We'll take a break here on Future Sense. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. 9.35 here on Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, Steve McDonald, and our special guest, Mitch Schultz, the Texan elf, who uh, <laughs> will be flying back to Texas tomorrow, back to the US of A, which we are talking about a little bit at the moment in the, the, uh, the decay that is uh, clearly happening and perhaps the, the end of the empire that we're seeing, the beginning of that end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it seems to be a long-term thing, but there's, mm. the signs are certainly there. Uh, and um, we've been talking about international politics in general and the USA and, and this trend of increasing self-interest and corporate capture that we're seeing in politics globally, and, and we're certainly seeing it here in Australia as well. Mm. We have a, a scandal uh, being drummed up by the media at the moment here around government grants going to uh, politically biased recipients. Sports grants. Yeah, and uh, someone dug up a story from, I think it was from late last year too, about um, the Prime Minister's church getting a $110,000 grant to improve security at their church, uh, which was from some grant uh, scheme which was designed to increase the safety of children or something like that, I think it was. Anyway, yeah, it's it's not a good look Mm. uh, at all. Um, back to Martin Armstrong, uh, he, he's writing in a post uh, just from the last few days, and I, I'll read part of what he's written here. He says, the Democrats, they're talking about the US uh, yeah. politics, of course, the Democrats have refused to accept Trump as president from day one, and this posture has been so destructive to the nation as a whole that our forecast for the 2020 election being violent and insane is probably going down as one of our major political forecasts, along with Brexit and the Trump election in 2016. So he's talking there about um, past successes mm. of his computer algorithm in um, yes, yeah. predicting these outcomes. They said that yes. Brexit would go ahead, mm. predicted that Trump would be elected, and uh, he's predicting, um, unfortunately, violence around the results of the 2020 elections in the US. Um, and I, I think you know one of the main issues there is that people won't, believe the results of the election given all of the reporting that's one way or the other manipulation of the process and and um, and the what happened in the 
Where was it? Iowa, the yes, Iowa caucuses. Oh, the whole caucus thing was a mess. They Can you explain a, a bit of how that just a version of for, how so that? So a quick bit from what I from what I know of this is that there was an app created by Shadow Inc. Which <laughs> you can't write this stuff, folks. It's just <laughs> it sounds legit. <laughs> it sounds legit, right? Right. Um, but there were some major issues in the reporting from all the different areas around Iowa, and there was no consensus on on all this stuff coming in, and so they were supposed to have the results that night didn't happen right away that didn't happen the next day and they were still counting and now they're looking at doing a whole re-canvassing of the entire situation uh, because of the technology so this is definitely not going to help the confidence in the election uh, people are already is, doubting it yeah. what do you think it's some sort of weak uh, attempt by the democrat machine to uh, to emulate the uh, the republicans in the way that they <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> manipulate and screw things well, up well what's going to be interesting i think is um so Bernie Sanders seems to be the yeah. front runner right now. And after getting pushed out in 2016 by the Clintons and the Democratic Party, hmm. um, some of this unrest might just be coming from the left, mainly against itself. Because if, uh, if, if Bernie and his supporters feel like they're getting pushed out again, I uh, don't see that ending mm. very well. And because there's a lot of young people who support Sanders too, so they're going to tend to be activists in some right. way or other, or potentially you know, get out in the streets more than uh, many of the other Democrat right. supporters out there. Well, the other interesting with Bernie is he's really talking about the the personal and the private, um, or getting back to the grassroots. One of his biggest things lately is talking about the energy sector getting taken over by the people, and I can't see that happening. But that would be quite fascinating if something like that pops uh, because he's talking and pushing that and I think that's what's pulling a lot of people towards him so. yeah yeah and it, what you're talking about too it, it also points to the confusion with the terminology uh, you know in the past we talked about the left and, mm -hmm. and often you know the extreme left was associated with the communist parties mm -hmm. around the world yeah. um, and socialism and those sorts of things and what's happened is because of the uh, the values regression in, in part where you know a lot of everybody's sort of going back to older values and often those older values are sort of agricultural era mm. uh, authoritarian extremist values where everything becomes black and white and mm. uh, and you yeah. know the extreme version of that is like the nazi party right um, and I don't think anybody would call the Nazi Party left-wing. You know, they, they're often quoted as a, an example of, of right-wing. And so within both sides of politics, we're seeing this tendency towards right-wing extremism, extremism yeah. e even in the left. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I suspect, well, I know for sure that obviously one of the, the driving influences in the United States is the military-industrial complex. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the amount of money that gets spent on that by the government and... Uh, the amount of influence that they have around the world, it's a big deal within yeah. the US establishment. And it doesn't matter whether you're left or right, Democrat or Republican, you are hooked into that structure one yeah. way or the other. Yeah, exactly. And, and part of the issue at the moment is that uh, Trump is clearly anti-war. Mm. In, in fact, I, I picked up an article uh, during the week from sarahwestall.com about how Trump used an encrypted Swiss fax yes. machine to defuse the Iran crisis, yes. which is really fax interesting. machine? Wait, people still use those? Yeah, yeah. What yeah, is yeah. A, yeah. So, what is so, a fax machine? <laughs> you're a little too young. Now. We'll explain to you after the show. Mitch, yeah, yeah, go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, and, to, not for elves to play with. <laughs> and so, in summary, what they're saying is that at the height of that little uh, affray that happened with Iran where the missiles got fired and everything yeah. else, I mean, could have easily spilled over into a major conflict if somebody wanted that. But apparently Trump um, jumped on a back channel, which happened to be a fax machine, and wrote a message saying, please don't escalate yeah. it. 
And they didn't. And they didn't, mm. and it worked. Uh, mm. And I think that's quite remarkable. And, and again, this is not something that gets reported by the mainstream press, but I do believe this is a reliable mm. report. Uh, and it's also, you know, it's clear, and, and it's not just the incident, but there, there have been a number of incidents that have, have shown Trump's true colours when it comes to war. You know, he's downplayed mm. conflict on a number of occasions, particularly with North Korea mm. um, and with, with John Bolton at the time being uh, Secretary of State and pushing for war. Yes, and Trump, war you know, Trump Iraq, opposed yeah. that, and I think Bolton's mm. going to come out and criticise Trump in a book pretty he, soon. He is. It's, I think it's just been released, in fact. Yeah. It, uh, um, yeah. So it's... That's really interesting, and and I think that is probably one of the major undercurrents that is not being reported in the media is this this issue of the military-industrial complex wanting to do its thing. Trump's holding it back at the moment, uh, and it kind of looks like the Democrats would possibly be more inclined to support mm. returning to that uh, permanent war. Well, of course, Obama strategy. dropped more bombs than any U.S. president in recent history. For example, yeah, so they say, yeah, it's um, so, and, and also as we said off air before, to Bernie Sanders, if he does get the nomina nomination, is also very reticent you know, com compared to most of those sort of ha more hawkish Democrats like the Clintons and so forth. That's right, too. So exactly, that's have, what I was working towards. Yes. You know, so so it, it makes for a difficult choice for the Democrats. Mm. Uh, yeah, they, the Democratic elite does not want Bernie Sanders in play. Uh, no, I, I think, think that's so. pretty obvious, and even. Kelly recent or um, Kerry recently talked about joining the race. <laughs> yes, John Kerry coming out of nowhere <laughs> talking about joining the race to make sure Bernie Sanders doesn't get right. the nomination. Okay. Yeah. So that should say a lot. Yeah, interesting. Hey, uh, anyway, one more uh, final word from Martin Armstrong for this show. I'm just going to quote again from one of his recent posts. Uh, he's saying, quote, this is what I mean, the government has ceased to function, there is no going back, and that's in capital letters, we have crossed the point of no return, and there's about mm, five exclamation marks after that. Uh, so he seems quite convinced uh, that uh, this has been a critical turning point, the whole uh, impeachment process and, and its failure, as everyone expected, because mm. the numbers just weren't there, and uh, yeah, exactly. he's, he was writing in that particular post that I'm quoting from just about abuse of the political system mm. uh, and and this is a general theme as I mentioned before you know uh, politics becoming all about self-interest and corporate capture so whether it's the self-interest of the politicians uh, well it usually is aligned with the corporate influence you know mm. which is paying the politicians to be self-interested uh, it's a problem worldwide and what we really really need to look at is uh, some kind of a safety valve within our democratic process and unfortunately because of the nature of the the layer five consciousness that's been shaping our political system for the last few hundred years um, their tendency has been to reinforce their position reinforce their power make it harder for them to get put out of power mm. and what that's done is it's it's reduced public influence it's dumbed down the system to the point where we have two bad choices mm. uh, and and no choice that's seen as reasonable by you know a good number of people and we've lost any kind of safety valve um, as we used to have where somebody can step in and say, hang on a minute, this is not reasonable, we need to just reset the system and have mm. another election. Well, this, of course, was uh, the ideal of the upper houses of our, of yeah. our uh, parliaments, both in Britain, here in the US, in various forms, the Senate or whatever you want to call them, the upper house, which has ceased to function in that particular way pretty much too. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, it's certainly uh, alarming in terms of the predictions for US politics and I think we need to to watch very closely and learn and act you know on, on whatever lessons come out of that this year hmm. are you guys uh, still considering the uh, refugee camp for Americans here yeah we're, we're thinking about buying some right, teepees <laughs> great yes. Perfect, yes. whatever you remember Hogan's Heroes 
Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, you could be um I'd know nothing. You could be a Schultz. Indeed. <laughs> 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 you are a Schultz. Uh the Tuna FM. Um you, we've also all watched as part of this equation, if I may bring this in now, a Netflix documentary called 13th, about the 13th Amendment uh, recently. It was a 2016 docker which uh, which um, didn't win but was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary that year, won a couple of other big awards. Fantastic film and really uh, I just had to slow down and watch it bit by bit over three days and go back and consider it. It really moved me, it brought me to tears in places. Stuff that we most of us know about um, the, the plight of the African Americans from slave trade to where they are now and not just but particularly the the building of america just putting one sentence on the backs of essentially the slavery the slave trade and the iterations of the slave trade down through time on the african-american people in the u.s uh, very worth having a look at and seeing from the inside there the incredible decay that that this articulates about the american culture and society yeah from just stepping back for a moment and looking at the bigger picture if we look at the values transition from the, the scientific and well sorry from the agricultural era through mm. to the scientific industrial era during the agricultural era as a general um, statement old-fashioned slavery was accepted and, and permitted within that system and if you, you think about the the way that societies were structured in that agricultural era where you had very class-based societies and you were born into a class and you couldn't get out of it you know there was no chance that you could get if you were born into into with a surf class for example in an agricultural society you couldn't work your way out of it it was just bad luck you just had to to, to do the work and extreme cases of that became um, you know examples like the the US and, and slavery uh, mm. as it was prior to the Civil War and then moving into the scientific industrial era we still have a kind of slavery but it's just in different form yeah. and people get paid but we have you know what they call sweatshops mm. where there are large factories people are essentially a slave to their work they don't get much time outside of work they go there they don't get paid much but they see it as an essential way of surviving in life so it's not like things have shifted entirely away from slavery it's just slavery in a new form but but watching that 13th movie i, I found quite shocking because it did speak about how laws and society has been restructured to really just carry on mm. in, in many ways, you know, the, the old-fashioned slavery. Well, and it just gets to that point, too, that you brought up many times, I'm sure, on the show, of that these layers of consciousness don't just disappear mm. once we transfer through as yeah. a society, that they stay intact and they're still having influence, maybe not as much or at least not as much out in the open. Um, and many people... Would, aware of what happened with slavery in America, but the filmmakers and the interviewees in this documentary did such a good job of connecting dots that carried all the way through to today yeah. um, of what is still being practiced and in place mm, in America. Exactly. Well, the 13th Amendment itself says this, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for some crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States. So this 13th Amendment basically made the modern form of slavery that you guys are just talking about there uh, legal, essentially. Yeah. That uh, if, you, if you can't keep them as slaves, then find a way to put them in jail and then use them as slaves that way. And 40% of, uh, of the incarcerated in the US are African Americans. 25% right. um, of all incarcerated people in the world are in the United States and the United States is 5% of the world's population. So that's incredible and one of the biggest itself. things that, that just stuck out was the the numbers you know in 1970 or 71 yes. there were roughly 300,000 people incarcerated in yep. the United States 
and by 2000 or late 90s we had over 2 million people incarcerated Um, and if that just doesn't Mm. show you what was going on behind the scenes Uh, and many of them, and what's what, one of the great things about this movie is it reveals how many things, amazing things, are made by the incarcerated people, either for nothing or for very, very, very low pay in uh, the prison system. Victoria's Secret pops out in my head, my goodness. Gosh, I know. what's that all about? Yeah. It's really. And yeah. many other famous big brands, uh, quality stuff, really good stuff that is made by prisoners using for prison next to nothing, yeah. using prison labour. Yeah, that shocked me. I mean, I, I had heard it was going on, but I didn't realise it was so widespread. Yeah. 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 And in fact, Trump's State of the Union address, in a, in a way, uh, by omission, speaks exactly to th- that project, didn't it? Yeah, just yeah. cut out. Just cut out. A whole swath of people that were part of. In Native Americans, enslaved, non whites, right. immigrants. Yeah. He was speaking to his base, and mm. Uh, mm. we'll see where it goes. Exactly. <laughs> and then the other movie we watched over the weekend was uh, American Factory. Yeah. Which, again, was a very interesting documentary. Yeah, so those who haven't seen American Factory, um, there was a GM plant that closed in Ohio. I think 2,000 people, you know, maybe even more, lost their jobs in this town. And then um, a Chinese billionaire came in, reopened the plant, um, and started creating mm. auto glass and hired a bunch of people, but brought, brought in um, Chinese workers as well. And the conflict of the value systems was one of the most fascinating parts of the Mm. film for me to watch Mm. Um, almost a military military style approach to the workers in china and most the americans just bitching about well what i want this i want this i want this (laughs) and not having the same sort of uh, output that the chinese workers were happy and and wanted to unionize and pull everybody together and fight back against the powers but uh, very interesting documentary very interesting and, and although I wasn't mentioning that movie of course there's a lot of American manufacturing that happens in China now right. you know, a lot of companies <laughs> are using Chinese factories because it's cheaper I guess uh, and and so this was kind of the the, the flip of that, that you know where China's looking to own and operate factories inside the US and I guess it's an, it's a natural response to you know what's happened with the US getting stuff made in China yeah and um and just the frustration of the the owner of the organization the company uh trying to deal with american workers who were just so different than chinese workers mm. uh, and um and yeah as you say you know the, the clear values shift and I, I guess for me the the biggest example of that was just the self-sacrifice demonstrated by chinese workers right. who seemed very very happy to uh, work as hard as they could work long hours and uh, to sacrifice their own needs to uh, nationalism to the, to the yeah, country, to the country, and there was a lot of nationalism within the workplace, and also mm-hmm. to the, to the company as well. So that's a sort of is that a, a strong example of Chinese being in layer four, particularly in the in that blue layer of exactly what you're describing, I guess. Isn't it? Certainly, yeah, self sacrifice yeah. in general. So I, yes. I saw in the movie there's a lot of layer two as well, so a lot right. of uh, emphasis on family life and the family. Although the the layer four values and the self-sacrifice associated with that seem to overrule the family needs because a lot of the workers that were interviewed were saying that you know they they work weekends they don't get to see their family some of them you know they live out of town their families live away from from where they're working and so they only get to go and see their family once every month or two or something like that so there's certainly uh they're certainly putting the company and national interest over themselves and their families in, in those terms and and of course the opposite 
uh, of side of the spiral was evident in the US where, there, where it was more an individual value set that was playing out yeah. and self-interest and people were saying, you know, why can't I get this? Why can't I get that? Yeah. Why do I have to do that at work and those yeah. sorts of things? So very, very interesting contrast. Mm. Yeah. A couple of texts have come in that are relevant. Uh, hi, boys. I have a Facebook friend. Boys, thank you very much for that. <laughs> hi, boys. I have a Facebook friend in America who loves <laughs> Trump. She's a simple lass, but she reckons that Trump has been great for them. She lost her job under Obama, and her husband lost his business and then couldn't get a pension. She says that Trump looks after the little people. She reckons that the Medicare system drove people to drugs. What do you reckon? Interesting, that one, isn't it? It's very interesting, and, and we don't uh, have any set political views on this show. We like to look at both sides of the yeah. fence. But, uh, you know, I can certainly see reasons why people would support Trump. And, and again, from a big picture point of view, when we look at the value shift that's happening globally, yeah. uh, Trump is essentially helping to dismantle the old values, yeah. you know, the old scientific industrial values. And he's quite actively doing that. And I, I am pretty sure he's well aware that he's doing it as well. Certainly, I've you know seen people say that they spoke to Trump years before he became president, and he used to talk about dismantling the establishment. Yeah, yeah. Human evolution has brought that man here at this particular well, you, point in time. You need a clown, you need a joker, you need and you got a joker there. You got one here, you got one over there. That's right. Another text before we take a break, too, uh, which is a good point. Hi, once slave owners provided the slaves food, clothing, and accommodation. Now us slaves provide our own food, clothing, and accommodation, right. etc. It's kind of true. Yeah, yeah. So the system is even more complex than it was. Indeed. Very interesting. You are tuned to Future Sense here on Bay FM. It's 9.54 and by podcast via futuresense.it all over the world. Or you might be listening and streaming at bayfm.org later on after the show is finished today. You can do all of those things here with uh, Nick Jeans, Steve McDonald and our special guest Mitch Schultz, the Texan Health. Last show for a while here, but not for too long. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.